When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center, recording on today's Wednesday, April 24th in the afternoon. So glad you're with us, whether you're listening on SoundCloud or Apple Podcast, or if you're watching live with us on Facebook. Thanks so much for being with us. Happy Wednesday. And we've got the full squad back here this week alongside the founder, the head honcho, Will Stewart. Great to be with you. And our managing editor, Chris Coleman. Guys, great to be back. And Will, welcome back. It's good to be with you again. Uh, it's good to be back. This should be a really interesting podcast because Chris's allergies are killing him. Killing me. He's uh, sneezing and coughing a lot. I don't know what's going on with me. I don't know if it's a cold or allergies, but but you're getting the Barry White Will Stewart today. Yeah, this, this is going to be awful from a sound <laughs> standpoint. So just so bear I, with us. I walk in today and I was like, "How's everybody doing?" And Chris goes, "Terrible. I have <laughs> not slept since 6:45 two days ago. Uh, I woke up at 6:45 on Tuesday and have not slept since." See, well, I, uh, I was the exact opposite. I got home last night, and I'm like, I'm going to bed. And I went to bed at 9, 9.30, which is early for me, and I got up at 8, so it's like 11 and a half hours. Okay, trivia, what's the longest you've ever slept uninterrupted? I think I did that recently. I think you I, did. I was, so, I war- I was so worn out at the end of basketball season and the coaching searches and stuff that uh, I slept for about 14 straight hours and woke up at 1.30 the day of the spring game. Man, I was supposed to be tailgating three hours ago. Uh, so I think that's about the, that was about 14 straight so hours. So while you think about it, Evan, for me it was 16 hours one time. I was a student at wow. Tech, and I was, doing, uh, I was doing homework on my bed. I was laying on my bed doing homework. It was 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and I fell asleep. I woke up and got myself in the right position in bed. I woke up, went to the bathroom, and I, I didn't woke, wake up for good till 9 o'clock the next morning. So it's like 16 hours straight. I felt like Rumpelstiltskin coming out of that bedroom like, so what's been going on since the last time I was awake? <laughs> I went to camp for the first time last semester in the fall, and we woke up at 7 a.m. both mornings, and it's just nonstop action. I went to bed at 9 and woke up at 11 the next morning. That's 14 hours. So, yep. so I actually think I have one that beats that, but I'm not going to share it because I'm from college. <laughs> <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> what is the number? What did you sleep? Uh, you don't have I, to give the – okay. I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. I woke up – it was after a Tech-West Virginia game. Yeah. Which okay. was a Wednesday night game. Say no more. Fair well, enough. Feel free. Drop. How long have you slept uninterrupted? We'll say it at the end of the podcast if you're watching. I mean, I, you know, I, I moved around on the bed and I went to the bathroom. I'm just saying, what's the longest you've slept without, you know, doing that sort of thing? All right, thing? real quick, just the spur of the moment thought of this. What is one Virginia Tech game in your lifetime that you have been unable to go to bed with because it has killed you that much in mm-hmm. a loss? Mm-hmm. I don't know that I can relay a story of, of staying awake all night or anything, but it, it's funny you bring this up because I was thinking about one of the things we need to do, and this segues into the sponsor promo, we need to have Jonathan Fisher on the podcast sometime. And I thought what we could do, for, and we've mentioned this before, I thought what we could do for that was kind of just ask him questions as a fan and, and allow people on Facebook Live to input their things. And one of the things you ask about, what's the most painful loss you ever suffered as a Virginia Tech fan? And for me, it's that 2010 Boise State football game that, that is – it's up there. I really wanted that one. Um, and going right off the top of my head, going further back, everybody's going to say Matt Ryan. You know, the Matt Ryan, the 2007 BC game. For me, it's 2010 Boise State, and believe it or not, 1991 East Carolina. That was the year Virginia Tech had a horrible road schedule. Like like five of their first six games were on the road or something like that, and they were tough. Was that the the year they moved Florida State? That's the year they moved the Florida State home game down to uh, the Citrus Bowl. They went to West Virginia, which is actually the game they won. They went a bunch of places, and so they got off to a rough start. So they come home, and they start winning games, and they're hurtling towards a 
towards a bowl bid. And it's 1991, so they haven't had a bowl bid since 1986. And they had East Carolina on the ropes. And Greg Grandison, I still remember his name, picked off a pass on the five-yard line and ran it all the way back for a touchdown for East Carolina. Tech was up 14 yeah. I won't, I won't bore you with the details. Let's just say that was early third quarter and the tide turned and Tech lost that game. And I remember being crushed by that one because I think the very next, uh, yeah, the very next week Tech went to UVA and got destroyed 38 nothing. Thanks for that. Yeah, that memory. That's pleasant. So, See, I don't remember it. So, I, I didn't, I'm not you were, sure I knew about you were the 38 six, right? game. Yeah, 91, Chris. I was eight. <laughs> Close enough. Well, enjoying this conversation. We'll keep it going towards the end of the podcast. Always love your input. Feel free to drop and share the longest. And we got, we got to do my song lyric at the end of the podcast, too. I'm glad it is back, and we'll get to the end of it. You mentioned Jonathan Fisher. Of course, the Tech Sideline podcast each and every week is proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia, to date, the firm has defended over 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031. That number again, 1-800-680-7031, or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. So a little look behind the curtain here. I typed this up brand new today. You know, and people on Facebook Live can see this. It's a very pretty sponsor promo. The old sponsor promo had been typed up and printed out on a, on a printer that was dying. So it had a big black streak down the middle of it. And it said 15,000 cases. It didn't say 30,000. So every time Evan read it, he had to substitute 30,000 for 15,000. And that's why I always pause and say 30, because it 30. has gone up <laughs> since the beginning of this podcast season back in August. By the way, really nice on the top of this sheet, the uh, Tech Sideline. The Tech Sideline letterhead. The premier independent publication covering Virginia Tech athletics. I'm going to start trying to weave that in as much as I possibly it's, it's, can. It's a mouthful, it's but a it's a pretty nice title. So coming up on the podcast today, here's what we got for those of you listening and watching. We're going to talk about and put a bow on Spring football for Virginia Tech. Coach Fuente and some of the players talked to the media for the final time today. We'll put a bow on that and kind of look ahead to what to expect in the summertime and the fall as we progress towards the end of the school year here on the podcast. We'll talk about Hunter Couture, the first commit of the Mike Young era, Virginia Tech men's basketball. He was a Wofford commit. Now he is a Hokie. And we'll talk about Jalen Cohn, one of the top prospects that Virginia Tech has out in the field, plus baseball, softball, women's lacrosse getting down to the meat of their schedules especially for lacrosse and softball the ACC tournament is this week for lacrosse and softball in two weeks but we begin with what social media across the country has been talking about if you're a sports fan and you follow NCAA sports <laughs> and it deals with Virginia Tech's transfer coming in from Coastal Carolina Brock Hoffman last night going to Twitter for those that don't know, again, coming in from Coastal Carolina, he's somebody who could be an impactful player on the offensive line this year if he does not have to sit out a year. And that's what leads us to this tweet that he put out last night just before 6.30. I want to give you the quote for those that did not see it. Quote, crazy how today the NCAA has denied my medical family hardship waiver for my eligibility of the 2019 season. The waiver was for my mother having an acoustic neuroma, a brain tumor, removed. The appeal process has now started, and it's all in God's hands. The NCAA denied it for two main reasons. Virginia Tech is five miles outside of the 100-mile radius from my house. Now the NCAA is a group of doctors and has stated that my mother's condition has gotten better since being at Coastal Carolina University, yet the left side of her face still has facial paralysis, hear loss, and eyesight issues and will never 100% be the same. The appeal process will be quick and I need all the support I can get. Don't let the NCAA take football away from me this season when others get a free pass for playing time issues. Close quote. That was a long quote, but it pretty much... Uh Sums it up. Your thoughts, Will Stewart? <laughs> My thoughts were if he transferred to Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State or Florida State, he'd be getting that waiver. And I know that's cynical, but uh, there's there's a couple of good articles about it. The uh, the guys from Roanoke and Richmond had covered, have covered it well, and Andy Bitter wrote an article about it for The Athletic as well. Uh, Brock, I don't, I don't want to use the phrase that he made a couple of mistakes. He just did a couple things differently because this, this – 
and his thinking this should have been a slam dunk, and I pretty much agree. But a couple things he did were, number one, he did not lawyer up when he submitted his transfer waiver request. Um, guys like Tate Martell, or am I getting the names right? Justin Fields. Yes. These are high-profile quarterbacks who transferred in high-profile uh, uh, programs and have gotten their eligibility waived and, and they can play next year. And their only issue was that they didn't want to compete for playing time. Yeah, that's right. So uh, so that was, a, a, I think, a general waiver request submitted by them. Brock submitted a medical hardship waiver request. So he went a little different route, and from what I've read uh, – the general waivers are the ones that the NCAA has kind of gotten pretty relaxed with lately. So there's that, those two things. Number one, he didn't lawyer up. Number two, he went a little bit different route. But it's still just ridiculous. And, you know, I mean, you've talked to me enough to know my, my just intense dislike for the NCAA and the way they do things. It shouldn't be about, in this case, so where the first place my brain goes, it shouldn't be about a 100-mile radius. It should be about how much closer is this kid, okay? So if you go to Coastal Carolina, and, and Brock is from Statesville, North Carolina, which is just north of Charlotte. The distance from Coastal Carolina uh, to Statesville is just, just under four hours. The distance from Statesville to Virginia Tech is just over two hours. So he's saving himself two hours travel, and we're talking by car, clearly. He's, sa he's saving himself two hours travel each way, four hours round trip. That's a lot of time out of the life of a collegiate athlete, you know, football player that a lot of demands are made of. Them. So rather than draw that, and, and that was done in very digital fashion by the NCAA. Oh, it's outside 100 miles. It's five miles outside 100 miles, so no. Um, come on, man. It's not like he's 300 miles. It's not like he's 200 miles outside your radius. He's five miles outside your radius. If his family had bought a house in a different neighborhood, he might be within that 100-mile radius. Um, so, those are my thoughts on it. It's just um, I, the NCAA is getting roasted on Twitter for whatever that's worth. You know, they also got roasted on Twitter for that ridiculous life of a student athlete commercial that ran nonstop during the NCAA tournament. They're used to getting roasted, uh, but hopefully, when when Brock submits his uh, his uh, appeal, he is going to get an attorney involved this time. And the timing of it is that I, I believe what I read is that he is going to submit that appeal within the next week and a half and that the appeal process is actually pretty quick, another week or so. So we should know fairly soon. Uh, unlike about some, the end of the first week of May or something like yeah, that. Yeah, unlike some situations with the NCAA, <coughs> Landers Nolly, <coughs> where they just drag on and on and on and you never hear anything. Of course, I imagine that's, again, that's a whole other topic. So those are that's my brain dump on the Brock Hoffman situation. All right, I have a couple of takes. All right, first of all, Cameron Kelly is going back to Auburn or is going from Auburn to North Carolina. North Carolina after spending a grand total of three months, two months at Auburn, and then uh, you know apparently his mom has a condition or something like that. And I want nothing. I wish nothing but the best. To the 800% committed Cameron Kelly. <laughs> but how far, how many miles is Chapel Hill away from Virginia Beach? I will look it up while you, you look continue that up talking. For me. Yes. Okay, and then I will come back to it. Mm. But, uh, didn't, but didn't Braxton Key get a medical waiver also to transfer to UVA to be able to play immediately? He did, yeah. Right. So, uh, and maybe I, not medical, but he did get I'm a waiver. I'm sure it was medical. Um, you can look that up, too. <laughs> but if it was medical, I'm pretty sure Charlottesville is – little and he's from charlotte i believe braxton key is wow, from charlotte yeah. i believe charlottesville is a little more than 100 miles away from charlotte last i checked um but see but my facts might not be right there um as far as the as far as the actual issue i think the NCAA took such a beating on social media last night and throughout today that as soon as that appeal gets in front of them they're going to stamp it and be like okay dude go play <laughs> please stop please stop having the whole country beat us down on social media so i, I don't think it's gonna be an issue after the appeal that's my personal opinion but I could so be from wrong. virginia beach to chapel hill it's 215 miles 
So my guess is that Cameron's uh, waiver request was the general type and not the medical type. Uh, you know, he, he, he well, the general type is when there's a coaching change. He hadn't been there long enough to be, have a coaching change. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and when he put out his tweet describing why he was transferring, he talked about his mom and his sisters or yep. stuff like that and, and, and health issues. So to me, uh, it sounds to me like he applied for the same waiver. So if they immediately say he's – He's eligible. I, I would be a little bit upset. So the other rationale that the NCAA used was that, uh, and I'm using air quotes here, that uh, um, Brock Hoffman's mother's condition had improved. Uh, well, okay, but as Brock pointed out, she's never going to be 100%. Um, so that, that was their reasoning. It was outside the 100-mile radius by the egregious distance of five miles, and her condition is, quote-unquote, improving. Angie Catlett asks a good question. Can he amend and add the general waiver to his request? That's a good question. I don't know. I, don't I, be, know. I believe I read that the, 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 in the appeal that he will change his type of request. Well, I why believe, can't you just I send both that. of them in? Why, why are there two different requests? Why isn't there check here if this is why you're transferring or check all that apply because ncaa right that i guess right yeah that would make too much sense one thing i found interesting will you you had said this before the podcast day and you you were talking about how the general admissions a little more lenient they have excuse me the 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 general transfer that's my understanding than just the medical but what's interesting to me is that you would think just from someone who doesn't know a ton about the transfer situation like myself but reading up on it you would think someone like brock in a unique circumstance like this where he needs to be close to their home that would be a more relaxed waiver than the general one for a quarterback like justin field or a quarterback like tate martell to be able to immediately transfer it, it depends. There, there's a lot of there's a lot of different types of reasons guys can transfer. Like I, I believe Fields Fields was the one who transferred from Georgia, correct? Yes. And his primary reason was that uh, someone had used a racial slur against him, and that can play into the issue of safety. Does this player feel safe where he's currently going to school? And that's that's a big issue. You know, safety on campus is just is just a big issue. And everybody who follows college athletics and follows university. Um, universities in general, I'm sorry, my brain's a little foggy. I can't come up with the terminology I'm looking for. Uh, university environments in general, they know that campus safety is a big issue that's at the forefront of a lot of what universities are, being, are doing these days. So to, to, to use the reason that Fields used carries some impact. It's, it's, it, if you want to take it to its extreme, it's an it's a, a immediate concern for the safety of the athlete. Um, but if you just want to transfer because your position coach quit, um, <laughs> that's not as strong a reason as a medical hardship reason or a medical uh, got to get home and support the family reason like what Brock is using. So it, it varies from situation to situation. And that is very extreme. I want to make sure I put that out there about Justin Field's situation. I should have read up on that a little bit more and realized that's a very serious issue for him transferring because of that. Here's, here's my thing. I, I, I feel bad for the players because coaches can leave and go whenever they want to, right? They don't have to sit out a year. A regular student can transfer, not have to sit out a year, right? Yep. Um, so why shouldn't they be able to? I realize it's a competitive sport, so it's a little bit different. Uh, my, my thing is I would let them transfer, open transfer, free open transfer, as long as you have a 3.0 GPA. Interesting. Complete uh, open transfer rules if you have good enough grades. <laughs> I'm think, I immediately start thinking of the ramifications. Um, it, it's a difficult topic because none of us here want free agency in college athletics. I don't want it, but I think legally, if it went to court, I don't think there's any way you could prevent it, honestly. If a coach can leave, if a regular student if, – if they're, if they're calling these guys student athletes and, and trying to make them – seem like regular students why can't they do what regular students do if they want including getting jobs to make extra money they can do that and that sort of thing yeah uh it's you bring up 3.0 gpa you can you can transfer wherever you want insert see joke here now i know this wouldn't happen but i could just see a football coach go into an english professor and saying 
listen, if you give my boy a, if you if you give my guy a B plus, that means he's going to have an overall GPA of a three point oh two. Can you please flunk my you quarterback today? If you just knock that down to a B, that'll give him a two nine nine, and you know he won't be able to transfer because everybody knows the NCAA draws that hard line. Uh, so that came to mind. That, that's it would put football coaches at these weird odds where you want as many and coaches in general you want as many athletes as possible to have as high a gpa as possible but that also makes them tra- eligible to transfer out as right. easily as possible right and i'll be clear that i think it's horrible it'd be horrible for the sport but once somebody takes it to court i mean we're seeing them loosen the transfer rules every year so i just don't see any legal way i'm not a lawyer but i don't see any legal way to prevent that long term so i would prefer to nip the problem in the bud right now by just go ahead and passing the rule with with that caveat real quick before we transition i do want to get your thoughts about brock hoffman the player we broke down the spring game last week we didn't talk a ton about the offensive line because as you said that's a position group that could see a bunch of different faces by the time summer ball and fall practice gets here what kind of player could brock hoffman be for tech next year if he's eligible he's a guy that could start at center or guard he started both spots his first two years at Coastal Carolina, started at center as a true freshman, started at guard as a true sophomore. So, you know, depending on how guys like John Harris, Zachariah Hoyt, how they progress and everything, and what positions they're best suited for, you know how Vance Vice is. He brings guys in, tries them at several positions, and just gets his best five on the field. So he's a guy that could potentially come in and start right away at either one of those spots or at least be in some kind of a rotation. Um so, yeah, it would potentially be a loss. For and, and let's be clear, if you're not familiar with him, don't turn your nose up at the fact that he played at Coastal Carolina. Apparently he was a very good player there. Yeah, yeah, and he's, he's gone up against, like, South Carolina before. Coastal Carolina's played South Carolina, and he held his own against those guys. And, and I think he got some conference honors and that sort of thing. So this isn't some jack-like guy who isn't that great. I mean, he's, he's a pretty good football yeah, player. Yeah, I mean, and, and let's, let's remember that Vance Vice is a guy – who, while he's getting a lot of credit for recruiting highly recruited guys like Doug Nestor and uh, and the kid from Kentucky, Brian Hudson, I mean, he's bringing some highly touted guys in here. It's also important to point out that he's been very good at identifying talent that nobody wanted. No, no, nobody wanted Silas Stanzi, and he was a really good player as a redshirt freshman. Nobody wanted Christian Derrissaw. He was a really good player as a true freshman for Virginia Tech. So Vance Vice has that unique ability to – to find that diamond in the rough, and, and there's not that many of those guys anymore with the, with the advent of camps and everything like that. Uh, they probably exist more so on the offensive line because it's such a difficult position to evaluate. But he's got that unique ability to find those diamond, diamonds in the rough and actually go head-to-head with some major programs and get some high-profile recruits and everything like that. Yeah, so, so he's, he's able to I do trust both ends of it. Right, yeah. exactly. I trust his evaluation ability when it comes to offensive linemen. So it brings up brings up an interesting point, which is is just kind of a sidebar to the conversation you're talking about. I'm thinking about these these uh, camps that we've been to, and you watch the offensive and defensive linemen work against each other, and uh, no pads, so they're just kind of shoving out there, <laughs> shoving each other out there with their hands. I think that situation benefits a uh, a defensive lineman much more than it does an offensive lineman. Particularly, so if you're watching a defensive lineman in a camp, you're getting to see his ability to make a one-on-one move against an offensive lineman. And something that's important in an offensive lineman, yeah, you can evaluate, do they move their feet well, do they keep a, a low base, do they bend well. But what you don't get to see in these camps is how well does he work with other offensive right. linemen. Once you get five guys together and they go into those zone blocking schemes and they know how to pass off one guy to the next, you don't get to see that in, in a camp setting. Not everybody has that same highlight tape as uh, Michael Orr. Remember that in the blind side when all the coaches open up their laptop yeah. and he drives the guy out of the end zone and over yeah. the uh... – Generally, offensive linemen, you have to project. There's just not a lot of guys that you look at and say, yeah, that guy's going to dominate when he's a true freshman. Um, generally, it's a, it's, a pro- it's a process, and you really don't want to have to count on one until they're a redshirt sophomore, which actually makes it all the more impressive – what Danzy and Darisol were able to do for Virginia Tech this past season. Continuing on the discussion of spring football and the transfer portal and the Brock Hoffman situation on the Tech Sideline podcast proudly presented each and every week 
by the Fisher Law Firm. Sean's got a great question on Facebook that leads me to the next point in our discussion today about some news that came out last week, and that is that place kicker and kickoff specialist Jordan Stout has entered his name into the transfer portal. That comes after a spring game in which he kicked well and was one of the storylines I felt like a lot of people had been discussing on the boards, on social media, was Stout's ability to kick. Uh, you know, Brian Johnson was the primary place kicker last year for Virginia Tech. So I'll start with Chris on this. Were you surprised to see Stout put his name into the transfer portal? I was. Um, I He was Virginia Tech's kickoff man. I, I actually prefer him to, uh, to Brian Johnson. And, and I don't get to see the guys practice on a daily basis like Fuente does. So if that job was still open, I'm in no position to question uh, question that. I, I would prefer it to be Stout, though, because he's got a stronger leg. And, and I think a lot of times, especially in the second half of the season, you got those strong crosswinds blowing in Lane Stadium. And I, I feel like a stronger leg is less likely to be affected by, by, by those wins. So I would personally prefer Stout. But here's the thing, you, you know, you have you only have a certain amount of scholarships to give, and at first last year, so, so you tell guys that, okay if you become the starter, then uh then you're then you're gonna get a scholarship right, so but starting what I mean you assume that the kickoff guys and place kicking guy are gonna be the same guy, hmm. right, um, so if there's no room for if you don't have that last scholarship because you already gave it to Brian Johnson because he originally won the kickoff – or, excuse me, the field goal kicking job, and you've only allotted three scholarships to special teams for a long snapper, a punter, and, and whichever kicker wins it, then you've already promised a scholarship. You So you have to either take it away from Brian Johnson and give it to Stout or say, oh, okay, we'll just take it out of – we just won't use a scholarship for this recruiting class and we'll have room – something like that so but with, without knowing what went on i mean that's the rumor i don't know it for a fact i just don't know it for a fact it wouldn't surprise me if it was true no it makes sense i mean yeah. it does make sense i got nothing to add there you go uh so that other, was other the, than it makes sense <laughs> that was the news coming out of last week so that does cement brian johnson is the i guess the he's guy. a starting kicker isn't he I guess you know. I mean, some guys are going in the transfer portal, portal, and they're coming back out. And That's staying. true. So, yeah. continuing on the conversation of uh, spring football, we'll wrap it up with this. You were at the press conference today, CC, and I believe this is the final time that we will see at least the student athletes talk to the media until getting ready for fall ball and right. the season starting in the summer. Your takeaways, anything interesting you took away from the press conference today? I had Jeremy Webb for the first time, the junior college cornerback who was yet to play it down. This guy was the number one or number two ranked Juco cornerback in the country who I think is can be an awesome football player for Virginia Tech if he's healthy. I, I think he has the ability to really change the dynamics in Virginia Tech's secondary this year if he's healthy. Uh, I, I thought he was, he was a good interview. Uh, and the guys they asked about him, like Grimsley just noted, you know, he's a really positive person. Webb's just naturally a really positive person. So when you pop that Achilles twice in six months, I mean, two different Achilles. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, twice in, in a short span. You know, you got to be a positive person. I I don't know how I, I would deal with that mentally. Like, I, I wouldn't be right up the next day raring to go and start rehab. I'll, I'll – after just doing it for six After months. After just doing it for six months or whatever, exactly. Uh, you know, I'd probably take a few days to sit around and feel sorry for myself, quite frankly. Apparently he's not that like that. He's just naturally got a real positive attitude. Now, now we've heard things here and there and read things here and there that he is really well-liked and well-respected by the, the team. The, you know, he's a like, he seemed to be a likable guy from being around him today. It was also the first time I think I've been around Dax. And Dax is a walking can of Red Bull, like you would expect. So if I can comment on that real quick. So on uh, Easter Sunday this past week, Dax went to Benny's Pizza. Oh. For those that have not been to Benny Marzano's in Blacksburg, I think it's the best pizza pizza around. It really it's, is. It is like this big for those watching on Facebook. Two it feet is across. humongous, this piece of pizza. I mean, you are stuffed by the time you finish one piece of pizza. And he decided to do the Benny's Challenge which I don't have in front of me, but imagine that piece. He's got to eat a full pie, and those pizzas are like 28 bucks for a full one because how big they are, and I believe it had sausage and another form of meat on it. He's got to eat the whole things in a short amount of time, mm. and I believe he got through six slices. Six of eight. 
He said no four. I'm sorry, he got halfway through, so it would have been four. four. Wow. I think he said told us he got through five. Maybe I, I don't remember. But he said he was hurting the next day. Is what I saw. Well, he said he puked basically. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Well, and the best part about it on the Hokies FB Instagram, I don't know if it was a player. They were filming it. So if you go back and watch it. the live story, watch it. Uh, he uh, they, they did show him going over. Only and, uh, three people have completed that challenge. Oh, he's apparently he said one of them is this tiny girl who's as wide as a stick or something like that. It said it took her like a long time to do it or something who's the guy like who eats that, the hot dogs joey chestnut or is that a country singer that's a country singer <laughs> uh, but uh, no, joey no, chestnut. You, but, but you but you see those uh you're right those hot dog eating contests you see sometimes those guys will it'll be small dudes man yeah. real small dudes just down so it. i just i just went on to benny's website so it says eat amongst the best pizza eaters in history <laughs> the benny's challenge invites hungry pizza lovers to chow down on a benny's benny's 28 inch pie in record time current times to beat for professional eaters it takes them six minutes and 50 seconds to do this but they give you an hour to do it so i'll i'll, I'll show some pictures to you guys here i don't know if I was. that is what i mean it is just the biggest looking pizza ever wow. oh i mean I've, so, I've taken one home before those things are mad it'll last yeah, you a they're, weekend they're big yeah. uh, I can't pick one up in the Miata. They don't fit. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's forty bucks. The pizza's loaded with cheese, pepperoni, and sausage that you have to complete it with. See now I'm hungry. And uh, it the challenge awards five hundred dollar check issued within thirty days of the challenge. You get your picture posted to the website and in the store with what time completed and bragging rights is what the Benny's website says. Definitely so, bragging rights. And you can only make it about halfway through, huh? Yeah. So he Man. said that he's going to try and do it again and, next and year. Dax is a big guy. Now, he said today that he thinks the problem was he tried to eat it too fast. He didn't let the pizza cool off. He just immediately started chowing down and, like, burned the top of his mouth. And he said the top of his mouth still burns today. So it just made him uncomfortable from the very beginning. Uh, I thought it was an interesting decision for a guy trying to drop weight for backer. Uh, and as far as that goes, he was got down to 228 at one point last week, he said. He wow. said he put some back on because they were max testing this week in the uh, weight room. What did he weigh last year, 240? 243 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and he's, he's probably not only is he probably 10 or 15 pounds lighter, but he's probably more cut than he was coming out of high Yeah, you know, he said he wanted – you know, Bud Foster recruited him as a, as a Mike and yeah. had to play him at backer out of necessity. So, to his credit, he, he, he did it. He did an okay job, but his main issue was he, he couldn't play in space with running backs. That was one of his main issues. And uh, he should be able to do that better now. As he, as he has a better understanding of the defense, uh, he adjusts to the speed of the game. He gets faster himself. Uh, he gets more in shape. He understands angles a little more at this level, which sometimes that that, that, that takes guys it's a while. lost in high school. Right. So, that, so there's three things I can think of here. Number one, you just learn to play the position better, which makes your mind faster. Correct. Number two, you drop a few pounds, which makes your body faster. Number three, you work on change of direction drills, yeah. you know, and your footwork and all that stuff. And, uh, and you know, I, I don't know that he'll ever be – uh, really good at covering. Well, I mean, he's not going to be Tremaine Edmonds, but, he can be but, better. but yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. He can get to the point where he's where it's not like opposing offensive coordinators are going to do like Cincinnati did and yeah. say we're going to design this one special play Cincinnati specifically. Got a to, yeah, exactly. It, yeah. yeah. So Bud Foster says that he wants Dax to play between two twenty five and two thirty, and he's two forty three last year. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one of my favorite quotes from uh, the press conference today: Rayshard Ashby said. Quote, he has enough energy for both of us that's <laughs> between actually, the two. Because Ashby is a very low-key, soft-spoken guy. At least he is in front of the media. Uh, he seems like a very, very chill dude, to be honest with you. And Dax is, Dax is all over the place. <laughs> and the last quote before we send this to Brayton, get ready for basketball talk to close it on the Benny's Challenge. He said, quote, I have a lot of respect for that challenge. I'm going to try it again next year. I'm going to train harder next time. Close quote. So how do you train for that? Just eat a bunch of pizzas between. All right. So work, so start off with a slice, and the next week you try to eat two, and you slowly spend the year expanding your you stomach. Know, yeah, that's how you I train for it. So maybe next it. week we'll do a tech sideline podcast, uh, Benny Marzano's challenge between the three of us, and see if see we if can, all uh, three of us combined can do it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll stop aside for a break here on the tech sideline podcast, proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm. When we come back. We've got Virginia Tech basketball news to get to. Kerry Blackshear's in the news. Mike Young got his first commitment as the head coach of the Hokies. And plus, 
who are the targets, the JUCOs and the grad transfers and the incoming freshmen, all of the targets that Mike Young and his staff is going after. We'll break it down on the other side of this break. You're listening to the Tech Sideline Podcast, proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Here at Fisher Law Firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLeague.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Our thanks to the awesome Jonathan Fisher and his great team at the Fisher Law Firm for sponsoring our Tech Sideline podcast. Excited to have them back on board for another year next year. Yep. So we welcome you back to the podcast. Evan Hughes, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman transitioning now from football talk to men's basketball talk. We've got a lot of uh, excited fans on Facebook Live here wanting to uh, talk about some basketball. So let's do it. Two big... Um, Newsworthy things happened last week. Let's start with probably the biggest, most positive news that Mike Young has gotten since he's been the head coach at Virginia Tech, and that was what some people thought was unexpected. Landers Nolly, who entered his name into the transfer portal, the highlight of the last recruiting class that Buzz Williams had here at Tech, of course, had to sit out last year due to the NCAA ruling on his test scores. And we know no details on that, by the way. Don't Not ask. at all. Don't, so ask. don't ask. Man, that, that secret was locked up, yeah, man. Yeah, it still is. But he put his name into the transfer portal, and he put out a statement on Instagram last week. He is staying home. He is staying at Virginia Tech. And a big win for Mike Young in this program, a talented player like Landers Nolly. Will, I'll start with this. That's a big-time get for Mike Young, able to keep Landers Nolly here. So, Chris, fill me in a little bit here. Landers Nolly is 6'7". He has the ability to shoot the three, right? Yeah, it's probably considered his best attribute. So, uh, I think um, – what does he weigh, about 230? 230. That's, that's, that's fairly Like I said, he would have been a four for Buzz. Yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not like he's 190 or two. Honestly, pounds. these days he'd be a four for most people. Yeah, that's the way basketball's yeah. going. So, my guess is a couple things played into that, and we don't have inside knowledge of, of this situation, but I imagine if he transferred anywhere else, he'd have to sit out a year. Unless he got a waiver. Who knows about those things? Depends on where he transferred, right? Uh-huh. If he transferred to a big-name school, he'd get to play immediately. <laughs> but uh, I, I wonder how much that played into it. And uh, we don't, we're not familiar with Mike Young's system yet. We're not familiar with Mike Young's system. He, I think he's probably a good fit for it. That's so based, my guess. Based on my limited understanding. We also don't know what kind of interest he got from other schools. Yeah. So if you're another school, yeah, he was a top 100 player. I think even a top 50 player by one service. But he was not academically eligible this past year. Yeah. How do those credits transfer? Is he going to be eligible if, if he does transfer? That would that a lot of people would shy away from that. So I don't know what options he had when he put his name in that. Pool. Yeah, as I like to say, there's a lot of moving parts Correct. here. But but I I'm, I'm gonna guess that what put him over the edge was that uh, he sat down with with Mike Young and Mike sold him on playing time and. And how what oh, his yeah. role in the offense would be. If you can't you play know. this year, then you can't play. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I, I think he sees a good role for himself here at Virginia Tech. So the one thing that stood out to me in his, he put out three paragraphs in his statement, and the last thing that he said was, "quote The new staff loves me and has showed me that they yeah, care and yeah. want me to stay here and make this my home." Close quote. That's one thing I think we're seeing a common theme from what he said in his press conference and to what he's showing is that he really made a, an investment. He wants to get to know these current guys. We're talking about so, Mike Young. Mike, Mike Young, Young yeah. so quickly on this Tech roster, and I think it has showed. Yeah, he made a comment to Mark Berman of the Roanoke Times about Nolly deciding to stay at Tech, and he said, my number one focus has been on the guys currently in the program. So I wonder what conversations he's having with Kerry Blackshear, you know, um, I expect whatever conversations he's had with Kerry Blackshear have already been had. Oh yeah. I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think Kerry needs any more knowledge on Virginia Tech's end. I, I'm sure they've sat down and he understands the the offense Mike Mike Young runs. You know, Kerry could go to get workouts with NBA teams. Uh, I don't think the Kerry Blackshear situation is going to resolve itself until maybe June at some point. So we've got a while. Um, Mike Young has a chance to add – if he can add a couple of very good dra- uh, grad transfers, and that might make a guy like Blackshear say, okay, if I do come back to Tech, uh, this seems like a better situation now that I'm not one of five people on the roster. Uh, so 
I think there's a lot of uh, I think it's a fluid situation. Um, I I think Kerry would certainly come back to Virginia Tech for the right situation, but at the same time, this is his last year to play college basketball, and Virginia Tech is in straight up rebuild mode right now, and that guy can play for any program in the country. To be honest with you, so. You know, he could go to Kentucky and win a national championship. He he could go to Florida. You know, he's from Orlando, and his parents could finally get to see him play in college for a year. Uh, just so many different options. For, yeah, for and him. and I have a hard time believing since he's a he's only got one more year if he stays if he stays in college. I have a hard time believing he wants to spend that year rebuilding at Virginia Tech. I mean, I know he loves Virginia Tech, and he may he may really like Mike Young, but. Next year's probably not going to be a good year, barring something really surprising. It's going to be rough around here. There have been reports on social media that he is either going to or has, with his parents, met with Kentucky, said Coach John Calipari. Yeah, there was a report that the that his that Calipari flew to Florida to meet with the parents. Yeah. And, you know, Kerry's still here, so they have not, like, Kerry and Calipari haven't met face-to-face. It was Calipari meeting with his parents. Somebody refuted that, and Kerry's dad was like, it hasn't happened, but it's going to happen soon. At any rate, there's been contact, and Kentucky's very interested, and I'm sure they take him if they think they can get him. Here's one thing we, you know, we mentioned on the podcast last week. You know, one of the draws that you know CC was saying, you know, if he really likes his graduate program that he's getting ready to get into, he can come back and and get that at any time. The one thing I thought about with Kerry Blackshear, first of all, he's given everything to Virginia Tech. You can tell I think that he, he likes it here at Virginia Tech from a school standpoint, but I think you can't rule out that all of his friends, the guys that he came in with, Justin Robinson, the Ty Outlaws, the oh. uh, the Med Hills. Chris Clark. The Chris, all uh, gone. They're all gone. Those yeah. are all of his friends. Imagine that- trying to stay, rebuild, no, not your same coach. Again, it's nothing against I, what the situation is. I'm just saying if you're in Kerry Blackshear Jr.'s shoes – you know, playing with friends has got to be a, a pull or a guys that you've gone to battle with yeah. in the last three to four Absolutely. years. Well, man. particularly when you look at that one of Buzz's strengths is building uh, chemistry is not the word. I'm, team culture, unity. Culture, culture yeah. team unity. These guys do everything together, and all the guys he did well, everything live with, with the same complex are gone. Yeah. yeah. But I think Mike Young has given him a, you know, a solid you know pitch, and I think he's doing everything that he can. But as, you know, as CC said, Last week, his dreams to get to the NBA. He's going to do whatever he can. Right, it's the best fit for him, and yeah. you can't blame him. And I think that you know, personally for me, I wish him nothing but the best. Whatever he does, he's got to go chase that dream. I don't think he's an NBA player. Uh, he does not have much of a vertical jump. He's slow off the floor. Uh, his his release is slow. Uh, I think he's a very skilled player. That if he was a little more athletic or whatever issue is with his foot, I don't even know what that is. If that was if that was right, he'd be more athletic and he would be an NBA player. That said, you know, if that's his dream, then he's not going to go play in Europe this year. He's either going to stay at Virginia Tech or he's going to transfer to another school. Or maybe he'll just go ahead and enter the draft and See try what to happens. play pro this year. Uh, mm-hmm. I still think his future's in Europe. And I was looking up the top uh, EuroLeague salaries the other day. And I, I forget what it was, but, uh, you know, the top ten are obviously all seven figures. And I want to say, like, the top EuroLeague salary is, like, $6.5 million now. Wow. I mean, those really good players in the EuroLeague make a lot of money. And I'm telling you, man, if that was me, the quicker I get over there and start playing, the quicker I can start Making mo- moving up the salary totem pole. Sure. Maybe you start off at two hundred fifty grand and prove yourself you're a good player for a couple years and – and you're making seven figures, yeah. I would, I would, I would want to get started as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I, I that's think, just me. I think we've worn out the topic of Gary yeah, Blackshear pretty well I on, think on we successive podcasts. Yep. Uh, let's transition into another commit that Mike Young has gotten outside of the program, and that was a commit to Wofford, in which he got a 2019 guard, Hunter Couture, who had previously signed with Mike, previously signed with Mike Young at Wofford, is now going to come to Virginia Tech. He's from Orlando, Florida. Went to Bishop Moore High School. Uh, had offers from you know the hometown UCF, a couple of other mid majors. And a guy known for shooting the three ball. Yeah. Your thoughts, CC? Uh, known as a high basketball IQ guy. Considered, honestly, considered too good a player for Wofford. Like the people I know who have seen him play or know about him, think he's probably should have signed with someone like Wichita State instead of Wofford, a high mid major level school rather than a low major school. Yeah. So let's so let's talk about terminology. I read this the other day, and 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 I. 
I think it's a, it's a good way to think about it. Yes. Uh, you hear low major, mid major, and high major. If you divide the entirety of NCAA one NCAA one A basketball up into into thirds, basically the smallest schools are your low majors, the middle schools are your mid majors, and then your Power Five schools plus plus the Big East and a couple, and, you know and, and, and some A's, schools like American, that yeah. are are your high majors. So when you say that he's a is a would you say he's a mid major guy? Well, a mid major plus mid-major guy, which means plus. he's a high level mid major prospect, yeah. which means he would expect it to be one of Wichita State's best players. Yeah. And a lot of times that guy becomes an ACC caliber player. I know I know I've seen plenty of good players for Wichita State through the years that I would have taken at Virginia Tech. Yeah. Whereas Wofford is from one of the bottom third conferences in the country. So they're a low major. They school. get the least talent. Now now what Mike Young is he's done a good job of recruiting guys, some guys to Wofford that were better than the Wofford level. Like the guy they Fletcher McGee who broke the NCAA three point record, obviously should have been playing a high level a higher level of basketball. Um now that this is this is a little bit different in that okay now you're in the ACC and that mid-major plus guy who was probably going to come to Wofford and be a great player for you now it's kind of questionable whether we tech gets something out of him or not like I don't know so, I think at this stage he's a good pickup he's about what you should should expect for this recruiting class considering there's just not that many guys left and, and this is the part I want to stress. This rebuild is going to take a lot longer than the Buzz Williams rebuild. Um, when Buzz Williams was hired by Virginia Tech, he had a big name. He had coached at Marquette, a high major program. He had signed there one of the top ten recruiting classes in the country for that year, which included Ahmed Hill, who was a top 60 national recruit. He had been recruiting high major players Correct. for Correct. He knew everybody's names. He knew mm-hmm. everybody to talk to, blah, blah, blah. So immediately what he does is he – brings Ahmed Hill with him and Satchel Pierce, who we won't bother to talk about. (laughs) Um, uh, But Ahmed Hill comes with him and all of a sudden, you know, he's a top 60 level recruit and everybody's like, whoa, that's our, if that's our first recruit of the Buzz Williams era, this is going to be a lot of fun. And then he talks Justin Bibbs and Jalen Hudson four-star guys, borderline top 100 guys into staying, and that, that was rather easy because they upgraded coaches. I know at first when James Johnson got fired, they were probably like, oh, man, this sucks. What's next? Our coach got fired. And then they saw it was Buzz Williams. They're probably like, that's awesome. We just probably upgraded. <laughs> I just won the lottery. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, uh, so he kept those guys, So and it was easy for those guys to stay on board because they said, you know, I liked Virginia Tech. I committed to Virginia Tech because of Virginia Tech, not necessarily James Johnson. So now I'm getting Virginia Tech with an Elite Eight, Sweet 16, Elite top-notch coach. Yeah. So so he's got three good players So at that th- three, three good guys already. And then he gets Seth Allen to transfer from Maryland. And that to, that to me was the – I remember I was driving to Charlotte for a wedding when I found that out, and I'm like, whoa. Because remember, he had, Seth Allen had visited UVA and Tech back-to-back and then picked Tech. Yeah. And I was like, man, that's impressive. And then he gets Zach Lede somewhere around there too. So that's five players right there at the beginning. And then fast forward to November, and he signs his first full recruiting class, which is Justin Robinson, Chris Clark, and Kerry Blackshear. It's top three targets of that class. He got all three of them. So that's eight guys that he signed. I think that was eight. At any, eight, any, any rate, eight, any rate that, that, that was the, those guys were the core of his Virginia Tech teams. For years. For, uh, and, yes, he added Nikhil Alexander-Walker and would be Sabidi later, but for the most part, those guys were the core. And, and he shuffled Jalen Hudson out. Right, right. Or Jalen Hudson shuffled himself out or whatever. But uh, that was his core, basically. And he had – so wait, the point you're making is that core was put together in the in space eight of months about eight months. After his yeah. hire. And he was able to do that because he had a big name. I mean, he was – I mean – you watch college basketball, you know who Buzz Williams is before he came to Virginia Tech. I always love watching him on TV. The recruits knew who he was. AAU coaches knew who he was. He brought in – he was a name hire that got people's attention. I mean, the CBS immediately pulled him up there and put him on the studio to break down the NSA tournament. Number two, he had been coaching at a Power 5 school before, so it was easy for him to bring in Ahmed Hill. In the Big East. So, yeah, so right. he, he before the, the Big East changed right. the, the current so, Big East. So, and, so, and then he brought in a couple of transfers, and 
you know, maybe his reputation has something to do with that, and maybe it didn't. It probably didn't with Zach Lede because nobody really wanted Zach Lede. He was the one guy in the buzz era that was, was an undervalued prospect. But the uh, point here I'm trying to make is that Mike Young is not coming from a Power 5 conference school, so he cannot bring an Ahmed Hill with him. Mike, he's, he's bringing a Hunter Couture. Mike, right, exactly. Uh, which might work out, it might not, but he's not a sure thing like Med was. Yeah. Um, Mike Young is also not a big name like Buzz Williams is. So I, I bet if you're not in the Southern Conference and you're not a Virginia Tech fan, that when that hire got announced, if, if you're an average, just an average Joe college basketball fan that watches the big schools and just doesn't delve that deep in it, you, goes across the bottom line, Virginia Tech hires Mike Young, you're probably like, like who's Mike that, Young? I don't, I don't know, know who that I, is. And I can guarantee you that. I mean, we did an article with, with Jalen Cohn today, who is Texan as top three. And he was like, yeah, I didn't know who Mike Young was at first. But he did a really good job at Wofford. So when, when, that, when that happens, it takes you a while to get, your, to get your foot in the door of recruits because they don't know who you are if you're coming from Wofford and you've been at Wofford, uh, Wofford for your entire career. So this is not something that he's going to be able to jump out of the gate into and start setting the world on fire recruiting from the very beginning right. because of his own background. Uh, so, so he's got he's got to start working those high school sophomores and, and, yeah, and juniors. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be all right. So we can't judge him until his third year, uh, most likely. Yep. Maybe fourth. Who knows? Uh, but Buzz, it was like, man, he brought in those eight guys and. And they were all eligible to play by that second year, and they won 20 games and made the NIT. And that's very unlikely to happen in this situation because Young, because of his background, just isn't going to have access to this many good players right out of the gate, in my opinion. So maybe one recruit, though, who could really help if Virginia Tech was able to get them. And listen, there are so many names being thrown out right there, right now that Tech is interested in and going after grad transfers and transfer portal and incoming freshmen. One guy to keep your name on, uh, your to keep an eye on is Jalen Cohn, who is a four-star point guard, class of 2020, who has now been given the option to reclassify to the 2019 incoming class for Virginia Tech. He goes to Walkertown High School. He's from Kernersville, uh, North Carolina. And Jason Stam's got a great article up on Tech Sideline right now. It was reported earlier in the week that the entire coaching staff went to his house, met with his family, Tennessee's in the mix, and Tech's in the final three. How big of a signing would this be if Tech's able to get Cone? <coughs> Sneeze. Finally <laughs> caught up with me. Uh, <laughs> pollen. Uh, it would be big. Uh, he's, he's the number 60 recruit in the 2020 <coughs> class, but he could reclassify to 2019. I think he's a guy that would start right away. Uh, think of uh, he's, he's like a much better, more athletic Hank Thorns, in my, in my opinion. Um, you know, he'd be a really good basketball player for Virginia Tech. The scouts really like him. I think you know, he's very familiar with Virginia Tech because Virginia Tech recruited his brother, Madison Cone, for football. I don't know if they actually offered Madison, but he took a lot of visits to Virginia Tech. Ended up at Wisconsin as a cornerback where he became an all-Big Ten performer <laughs> from the state of North Carolina. So if we didn't offer him, we messed up. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so Jalen came on a lot of those visits, so he's very familiar with Virginia Tech. I, I think it's safe to say that Virginia Tech is his favorite school. I also think it's safe to say, reading between the lines and, and reading his interviews, that Buzz Williams is his favorite coach. So he was definitely coming to Virginia Tech until about three weeks ago, right? Well, now his favorite coach is at Texas A&M, and his favorite school was right here. Kernersville to Blacksburg is 88 miles. Yeah, it's very right. close. It's, so outside, it's, close. it's outside Winston-Salem. Yeah. Um, so it was a great fit for him. Now, one thing uh, that did help – I'm sorry. Uh, my personal opinion right now is that he would go to Tennessee. It would be a very difficult decision for him to pick between Virginia Tech and Buzz Williams, so he would just go to Tennessee, <laughs> which was not a bad choice because they were number one in the country for most of the season this past year. Um, but that being said, he, he's, yeah, he's still taking – his official visits and everything like that. Uh, I think it's going to be close when it goes down to the wire. If, if Mike Young can win that recruiting battle, coming fresh in, that would be that that would say a lot about his recruiting ability. But we're going to have to win some of these recruiting battles like this because I, that team that Virginia Tech put on the court this past year, 
Right? They didn't just win because they were well coached. They won because most of them were top 100 players yeah. with a bunch of offers and four-star recruits and a five-star recruit in the case of Alexander Walker. You gotta have, be able to have uh, talent. Uh, you gotta get, excuse me. You gotta be able to acquire talent. Talent acquisition is the key. So, I'm not saying it has to start with Jalen Cohn because Mike Young is operating from behind here, but it's got to start at some point, And it would be nice if it started with. Cohn. And, the, and the late signing period is open, and it's running through May fifteenth. Eh, but you know, you can ignore that because you can sign through. He can wait the whole as long summer. as he wants. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. One thing I, he did say in the article is that he loves Coach Christian Webster, and he's been recruiting him since his freshman year. He actually said, quote, I love Coach Webby probably more than any other coach and probably have the best relationship. Then he said he's been again, freshman year, and that Coach Webster having the, that confidence in me means a lot. Virginia Tech is like home. So those are just a couple of things that he said, yeah. like you said, that he knows the school, he knows the expectations. And certainly, I think out of all the names that are being thrown around, if you're – like me, and I invite you to read Chris's article and trying to keep up with everybody. This probably, would you say, is this the number one target that Tech's in on right now? I, I mean, as far as high school recruits, I definitely yes. think that's the case. As far as guys that could that could be high school recruits and play for us next year, so twenty nine potential 2019 recruits, I, I would definitely say he's number one. Well, there you go, and that's going to – Kind of put a, a bow on the basketball discussions today, and of course we'll have you posted. Uh, again, Jason Sam's article up on Tech Sideline right now. Chris has an article up with the current roster and really a good list of guys that Tech could be going after, is going after. Well, that list seems to uh, change every day, so I recommend doing like a little Virginia Tech basketball or Mike Young thing search on your Twitter, so you've got it. Uh, <laughs> you get over here in your feed when the new news rolls by and everything. Yeah. Uh, quickly, uh, we've got uh, about five to seven minutes left. I want to give a quick uh, spring sports update. Uh, we'll start with baseball over the weekend. Uh, had a series against Georgia Tech that was actually Thursday and then a doubleheader Saturday because it poured down rain in Blacksburg um, on Friday. Uh, they took game one from Georgia Tech on Thursday, lost the doubleheader, nearly came back in one of those two games. Oh, man, that, uh, the, the second game was frustrating. I was keeping up with it, and Georgia Tech just walked the whole ballpark. In the, in the ninth inning, in the bottom of the ninth, and Tech got the bases loaded at one point and uh, three runs, I think, but, but but couldn't get the tie and run across. Wow. Yeah. So they played VMI last night. They won 10 to 9. They were up 10 3 in the ninth, and then VMI made a strong push. A win is a win is a win. <laughs> but, but a win is a win. They play at Radford tonight, which, by the way, we're recording on Wednesday, and then they go to Miami this weekend where. Uh, weather does not look favorable. It looks rainy, but uh, that'll be a good series for them uh, against the Hurricanes, who's in that upper echelon part of the ACC Coastal. Update on softball. They lost their first ACC series of the year this past weekend in North Carolina, two games to one. Uh, but here's the scenario for Virginia Tech, who is preseason ranked 10th out of 12th in the ACC. Yeah. They have 17. They're 17-3 and three in the ACC. 17-4, and four, excuse me. If they sweep Boston College this weekend, the second-to-last team in the ACC who didn't score a runoff of Florida State in three games, they win the ACC Coastal, and they are the outright Number one ACC seed. champions in the regular season, which would be the first time that's ever happened in softball history. They won two tournament championships in 07-08 under Angela Tincher, but not the regular season. So what an accomplishment that would be for Tech if they're able to get the sweep. If they win two games, they clinch the Coastal. Win the series, you got the Coastal. Guaranteed top two seed. Rumors are they have the tiebreakers, which is way down the list. Florida State's at 13 wins. They have two series left. Florida State is 13-5, and five, so they're one down in the loss column. Correct, and they have an extra weekend, and they're going to have Syracuse and Duke in all likelihood, in my opinion. They're going to sweep both of both those. Up. Duke might be able to get one game off of them, but – Florida State's they, they they lost to Florida. They lost series to Louisville and North Carolina. They're ticked off. They're going to win, I think, six in a row. So that would get them to 19. 19 Tech sweeps. Yep. Nothing they can do. They get to 20 wins, and uh, they would win the ACC tournament, which is just so impressive. I've got something to say. All right, so so 10th out of 12, right, is what Correct. they Correct. All right, let's go back to Tech's first year in the ACC in football. And I think most analysts picked Tech between 5th and 7th in the league the that meet, year, but that one magazine picked Tech ninth out of 11 teams wow. in the ACC that year. Because I remember John Boleyn had it printed out on a banner and, and wrapped around the practice field or something like that in the preseason. <laughs> you have been picked ninth out of 11th in the ACC. Yeah. You know, Virginia Tech goes on to win the ACC that year, their first year in, in the league. So if yeah. the softball team was able to do that this year, it would be very similar. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, right now the odds of them hosting a regional are not very good. The top 16 in the country get to host the 16 regionals. But you look at potential destinations for the NCAA tournament, Knoxville, a place they've been before, close in location. They could potentially be a two seed there. Or if JMU somehow gets in the top 16, they're borderline right now. Could you imagine Tech going to Harrisonburg for a regional and, a, a, with JMU as the host? They split. Yes, right, yeah. and that would be – Megan Good, their pitcher, is one of the best in the country. So that would be a really interesting uh, – so anyways, keep around softball. Again, they're 40-7 and seven right now. Wow. 23-30 and 30 a year ago. They lost 10 one-run ball games a year ago. 40-7. and I'm uh, sure it's not 40-8 and because they lost two games this past weekend, and I thought they were 37-6 and six or something like that going into the weekend. I can check for you in just one second. Um, it's very good either way. <laughs> yes. It's, 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 uh, and I think that uh, Pete Tamore is probably a lock at this point for ACC Coach be. of the oh, Year. Oh, have to be. Uh, they're 40-8. and eight. Thank you, uh, Will. And they're 17-4 and four in the conference. And I think looking around the country, the Texas coach and Tamore, I think are the top two for National Coach of the Year. Okay. So cool. uh, keep your eye on that. And also you, you have to think if Tech wins the regular season – they have a probably a strong push for ACC Player of the Year. So, they have a lot of options. Carrie Eberle's got the most wins in the ACC with 22. Emma Strout is on a tear at the plate. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised to see a Hokie potentially win ACC Player of the Year. Okay. So, so some um, new hardware coming in. Apparently. Yes, exactly. And then uh, and that helps recruiting. Women's lacrosse uh, had a lead late against UVA over the weekend. That was big for the Commonwealth Clash. They ended up falling. So the Hokies are at the ACC tournament right now today, recording on Wednesday, playing North Carolina. Ranked in the top 25 with a losing record. That's, that's how, that's that's how difficult uh, lacrosse is, women's yep. lacrosse. Mm. I think they've lost like to four straight ranked teams by like anywhere from one to three yep. Yep. points each time. Yeah, they have that so, brutal schedule going down the end. And yeah, they're eight and nine right now, one and six in ACC play, which, again, sounds bad. But just to put this into context, this is how they finish their season. Number four, North Carolina, at number three, Syracuse, at number four, Notre Dame, home versus number one, Boston College on senior day, and at number seven, Virginia. That's how they finish their season going into the season tournament. So so imagine Virginia Tech football playing Alabama, Clemson, uh, Michigan, Ohio State. And, USC and U. Well, I wouldn't, well, <laughs> I wouldn't say USC anymore. The traditional, but, but LSU. LSU. Imagine Virginia Tech football closing their season with oh. like those five with those five opponents. So, from my understanding, they're eight and nine. They can get into the NCAA tournament with a five hundred record, and they would, from all indications. But so they'd have to win two in the ACC tournament, right, yeah. and, their, and their nemesis is North Carolina, who was the, really the only team to really crush nineteen to five season. the yeah. final score. Yeah, and they struggled with UNC in the past too. And one game that I you just you know you hate to look back on, but February twenty third at number fifteen Duke, they lost eleven ten in overtime. Mm-hmm. I mean, just so close. So uh, no, refl- I mean, this team was a little bit younger. They lost a piece from last year. John Sung has done. Awesome things with this program. Paige Petty was all ACC first team. They're going to be dominant next year if they don't get to the NCAA tournament this year. So still good things ahead. Well, that'll do it. Fun podcast. Lots of discussions from the transfer portal to the NCAA. But we, of course, cannot close the podcast without our song lyric, which is back in Will's Twitter profile. I'm hoping, folks, that this is the one that I can get for the first time this year. You know, we need to hand the lyric out at the beginning of the podcast so people on Facebook Live want to guess at it. Um, You want me to read it? Or no, you have it up. You go ahead. I remember when Mary Lou said, you want to walk me home from school? And I said, yes, I do. I remember when Mary Lou said, you want to walk me home from school? And I said, yes, I do. That is Jim Stafford from the uh, early mid-70s, a song called Spiders and Snakes. Um, Jim Stafford did a string of amusing songs back then, and, and he actually had his own variety show for a while. He did not do The Streaks. That was Ray somebody. Um, everybody knows The Streak. Jim Stafford is kind of one level below that. Spiders and Snakes was good, but my favorite. And he sang another song about how they grew some weed on the farm that made you feel funny when you when you smoked it <laughs> and the feds came and got it. <laughs> and that song ended with the line, we just smiled and waved sitting there on that sack of seeds. But well, well, wow. Facebook. 
Facebook's getting a lot of love off this, uh, by the way. Oh, they but, like that? Three comments. Right that. Justin Belger says, one, I don't like spiders and snakes. <laughs> Bob Creedon says, remember that one well. Eric Fisher, Ray Stevens did the streak. Yes, thank you. And Bob Creedon says, yes, Stevens. There you go. So, so one of my favorite uh, we, uh, uh, Jim Stafford songs is My Girl Bill. And uh, he sings this song about having a meeting with his friend Bill. And apparently they're dating the same girl or they're in the running for the same girl. And so uh, Jim Stafford sits down with his buddy and says, she's my girl, Bill. And then the chorus goes, my girl, Bill. <laughs> That's the whole <laughs> rest of the song. So good stuff. There you go. Do we lead off the podcast next week with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's got a kind of a twangy opening that will fit really well in the beginning of the podcast. And uh, I, already know, I already know what songs. I have three songs I'm going to look at for my uh, my lyric for next week. And so we'll do that at the beginning of the podcast. Spiders and Snakes, you'll hear it next week right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Quickly, uh, loved your Q&A last week, CC. I'm assuming we can expect another one on Friday. Yes, assuming uh, my eyes haven't fallen out of my skull from all the time. Yes, I hope yes. you get some sleep. Yeah. I, re- I hope you sleep 14 hours. I don't know if I want to sleep that long, but, uh, but it would be... Going to bed would be nice right now, yeah. Man, I'm not going to do that very soon. I think. Do it, man. I went to bed at 9.30 last night. It was awesome. Yeah. Enjoy the weather, everybody, and uh, take some allergy medicine, and definitely don't let the uh, pollen get to you. Thanks so much for watching on Facebook Live. Thanks so much for listening on our Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, however you listen to us. We're glad you did this week, and we'll be back with you next week right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast, probably talking more about recruiting and men's basketball. Maybe a couple of news will come out a week from now. We'll have everything you need to know about Virginia Tech Athletics. It'll be discussed right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast next week. For our founder, Will Stewart, our managing editor, Chris Coleman, I'm Evan Hughes saying so long. Talk to you next week right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast.